Welcome to the Ether Review. I'm your host, Arthur Falls. The Ether Review is a podcast about the applications of blockchain technology, from big business to governments to the software that powers our cars. This new iteration of the internet affects every part of our lives. By speaking to the people who work in this emerging field, we aim to decrypt this new technology and distribute the future that is already here. Today on the Ether Review, I'm joined by consensus member Nick Dodson, the man behind Boardroom. Boardroom was our DAO platform, but it's been rebranded and rebuilt as GovernX. Nick also partnered with longstanding Ethereum community member Dino Mark to rebuild the original DAO in a more functional and secure way, and that's called Ares. Thanks for joining me, Nick. Thank you. Let's start off with a quick rundown of your background, because that's relatively interesting, you know, marginally so. <laughs> Only marginally. Yeah, so my name is Nick Dodson. I've been part of the Ethereum community for, I think, two and a half to three years. I don't even remember. And fell in love with it after trying to build anything on Bitcoin, literally anything. I tried to build pretty much a very simple app and couldn't do it because Bitcoin was so primitive at the time and still is. And so found Ethereum and before that was a musician for several years. Toured the States a lot. It was a crazy time, but I've always been coding. And essentially when I came to Ethereum, I started Wayfund and Boardroom. Yeah, been working at it for quite a while. So, so let's look at Boardroom and GovernX now. Has it been fully rebranded as GovernX? Or so I think by the time this airs, it will be, yes. Okay, so tell us a bit about GovernX. GovernX, originally Boardroom, was founded two years ago. And basically, it was both a research effort and an effort to develop kind of governance tooling, systems, services for Ethereum. Basically, like when I initially set out, I kind of came to a few conclusions. One is that governance is going to be extremely important for the Ethereum ecosystem. I also think because Ethereum is so good at doing smart contracts, it's also going to be a very ubiquitous and easy thing to do on Ethereum. It's, it's just a matter of organization. So what are the challenges in developing a governance tool? I presume it's largely a matter of abstracting all of the functions. Yeah, so, so there's a big challenge of abstraction. There's also a big challenge of what exactly are you targeting and, and how are you going about it? So right now with building organizations on Ethereum, we can kind of talk about, oh, well, you use these contracts and that will structure your organization in X way. But I think what's pretty critical is actually building organizations has nothing to do with Ethereum or smart contracts. That's, that's purely just some foundational work. Most of building organizations is social. So you really need to keep that in mind when you're developing a lot of this stuff. And so something I want to just dig into, when we talk about smart contracts, in this case, there are two hierarchies, I guess. On the one level, you have the full technical definition of a smart contract, which is a piece of code running behind an Ethereum address. Whereas on a higher level, we have this idea of representing a specific relationship or a specific interaction and then turn that into an outcome within the GovernX organizational structure. And that is effectively what gives GovernX its structure. Would you agree with all of it as a rough outline? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the primitives are 
there's an organization with a definition of membership somehow, whether that be tokens you hold or just by nature of other agreements. There's a loose definition of proposal-based decision-making and consensus-making. And I think that goes for any organization right now and the way that is structured. But with smart contract systems, you're conceptually and mechanically representing those primitives. And then you're trying to get to a place where, so smart contracts will lay the foundations, they'll lay the rules out, they'll lay the way that people conduct themselves in an organization in a collaborative way. So just to, to dig down one more time into another term that we used, and that's abstraction. And it gets bandied around a lot in this space. But what we're really talking about is taking a specific event or a specific interaction and using that as a building block to represent other interactions or other relationships within the, the GovernX framework. Yeah, I mean, you have your core organization, your core definition, you have collaborative decision-making going on between a group of peers. And then as well, you have all of these organizational attestations. So attestations, you know, like a basic definition is just things that really define the organization. Many assets or many tokens or a certain style of governance or basically anything that can be defined within the realm of smart contracts or these are all we consider attestations. And so when you're using kind of GovernX and, and the tools that we provide, it's using attestations to, to help better define what it is, what it represents, what it's going to do, etc. And an attestation is where one member of the organization makes a statement describing some quality about it or, or some quality about another member and where they sit in that organizational structure. Is that about, is that about right? Yeah, and I'd also include as well that the organization itself can attest to itself. So that's one of the strongest forms of attestation is basically saying, hey, all of these people in this organization, this decision-making structure, they claim and they state in, in their attestations, these are their tokens, these are the things that they all agree upon. And then, yeah, each of the membership of that org can also attest and have weaker or softer attestations that are formed. What about other governance platforms that we're seeing emerge in the blockchain space? I'm thinking specifically of Aragon. What do you reckon about that? So, yeah, I mean, I think everything Aragon's doing is awesome. I think they have a token-minded approach, which is kind of interesting. I really don't see a use for a token, but I think all the power to them, especially doing tokens for things like arbitration and stuff like that, I mean, all that sounds very interesting, but I think as well, you can do lots of really useful arbitration without ever having a token. But you actually use Boardroom for the governance of the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance, don't you? And you have tokens to represent the voting stake of those individual participants, right? So with the EEA engagement, like I can't talk too much about that because a lot of that's still, <laughs> a lot of that's still super private. But with their system, there is potential for a membership token, but also a lot of their membership can just be defined with a registry. So actually, it's not necessarily clear yet that a token is going to be what they want to define the organization with, especially some of their more technical committees. So I think it's hard to say, but. Yeah, if the point is kind of like, hey, if you're making kind of universal governance systems, like they can be interoperable, absolutely. Like I think Aragon and GovernX will share a lot of information, a lot of tools, like a lot of approaches, but also just a lot of the things that I think they're going to construct will be focused on their token services, which is fine, but a lot of these services are very primitive and don't really require a token. And in fact, the token adds a lot of transaction friction that I think is kind of a useless thing to pay for. 
That's, uh, that's an interesting clarification because tokens are all the rage these days. So let's talk about the Aries DAO because this is a really interesting project that you and Dino have been working on. So the Aries DAO is like a pretty crazy idea, which is bring back the DAO and make it not blow up. <laughs> the DAO was started, I think, in early 2016 and was essentially a decentralized investment fund. They'd put money in it and get tokens back. And that was during the crowd sale. And you'd become a kind of member in this massive investor pool that could then decide, hey, we like these projects. Let's, let's invest in them. They'll make money back and send it back to the DAO. I think the ideas for the DAO were completely revolutionary. I think the way that it was structured and around that time, it was so exciting when the DAO was kind of functioning and people were making proposals, people were trying to make it better. There was such a strong force behind it, especially due to the capital that was put behind the idea. All of the ideas were solid. I think the execution was completely shoddy and rushed. And what ended up happening is new computational errors and bugs were revealed. And then the whole thing blew up. <laughs> and so I really think they didn't do enough testing on multiple fronts, but they, they didn't do enough research on the social dynamics either. So they really didn't have any data to support the defaults that they had set for the DAO. And that became like a huge problem, even if the DAO didn't blow up, because they really didn't know where to put numbers. And it's because they really didn't have any data to make any sort of rational decisions. So it got really, really messy on, on so many different fronts. And it was also game theoretical challenges as well. So, so with the Aries DAO, we simplified a lot of things and fixed a lot of game theoretical and mechanical design problems. So basically the, the first one is there's no curators. It's completely run by direct democracy off the token. So the token holders are truly in the driver's seat behind the investments. And the reason why we can do that is because we raised a very, very high stake number on the proposals. And this is still to be calibrated by more social research, but the stake on proposals is now extremely high. In fact, it's so high that you may even need to do a crowd sale in order to fund just putting a stake in a proposal. The reason why is that keeps quality quite high. And then we introduced some very simple mechanisms to help thwart whaling and 51% attacks. So this is an attack where some really rich or wealthy, either single person or group of people collude and they take 51% of all the tokens and then they steal all the money out of the fund. And so the original- No, no the, the reason you can do that is of course, because you have the ability to allocate funds. So you can allocate all of the funds to yourself if you have that controlling stake. And because there's no legal arbitration necessarily to fall back on, or at least that is one of the design principles is to not fall back on, on a legal system, there's potentially no internal systemic solution to that problem, right? Yeah, so initially you get this awful situation where if someone gets a pretty big share or a majority share of the tokens, they can create a proposal that just says, give me all the money and take it all out. <laughs> and so this created like a pretty disastrous scenario to be worked out. The way that we deal with it's like really hilarious. We basically make everyone who votes freeze their tokens. Now that design measure may change slightly. We may use a copyable token where we don't need to freeze anymore, but you freeze your tokens in order to propose and to create these proposals. And so what we realized, and I realized this at like three in the morning lying in bed, thinking about how to solve this problem, <laughs> is that the token holder who is voting for the malicious proposal is frozen in a period of time. And that is 
from the period of which they vote till the end of the execution period. So there's a period of two weeks where the proposal can be executed once it has won. So you get this interesting scenario where the attacker can totally create this massive proposal to give them all the money. They can vote, can vote it through with their majority share. But what's going to happen is, is they're going to vote through this malicious proposal and they're going to be stuck and exposed. All their accounts that they voted with, the account that they created the proposal with, all of that is stuck in that proposal for those two weeks. So because of that, you can basically create a whole new DAO and just say, hey, invite everyone except for the people who voted for this proposal, and they effectively become iced out of the new DAO. And so everyone will learn out and then buy back into the new DAO, rendering this particular whale or attack or collusion completely useless. So it's a really interesting prospect because you can ice out the problem. And this also goes for icing out potentially people who don't even have a majority share but are just being annoying. So this is the tyranny resistance that we have in the DAO and it keeps it kind of rather malleable. And as well, everyone kind of safely gets their money and have the option of buying into the new DAO without the awful person. So how do you deal with voter apathy in that case though? Because I mean, I barely even vote in national elections, let alone in the weird DAO things that come up from the infinite number of random tokens that I, I hold or the different variety really. Yeah. So I think this will be more work on the social research side as to what are the default voting numbers that will actually pass a good proposal and what's really required to kind of set up a good proposal, pass it and actually have the funds allocated and not have any problems. So this will be determined by social research that we will conduct with a smaller DAO. We'll basically do a raise of fifty dollars to $150,000. It will be directed at charity, and we're going to test with a whitelisted small DAO what happens. What are the numbers? Like, What are some defaults and some basic numbers we can rely upon to go forward with a larger DAO? I think that research effort will be really interesting to experiment with, and we can kind of see, like, hey, if we allocate money to X project, why did people vote or not vote on this particular thing? So that research should tell us a lot. Sounds like there is endless research to do, endless tweaking. And how do you cut this down to something that you can consider even remotely complete and suitable for the real world? I think it's multiple things. So one, all the stuff that we're doing with Aries is completely compatible with all the other governance technology that we're building. So that's all the notification systems, all the social research that we're doing just around the DAP that we're building for GovernX. And so because it's completely compatible with all these other governance systems, it's just another governance system to take into account. Now, when starting the DAO again, we're going to have to have a lot of things in place. So the legal nature of this is still very, very hotly. <laughs> it's a hot subject. It's not really hot anymore. I think they just ruled that the DAO was a security and that... Uh, oh, and totally. Yeah. So I'm just saying when we go forward with this sort of stuff, well, that will have to be properly worked out so that, you know, follow the law and you don't have the same problems as the original DAO where there was so many unknowns about what is the legal nature and what the hell I just bought. <laughs> so all of that will have to be worked out. But the interesting thing is, is that floating on itself with enough notification systems with the same sort of community that we'll build for GovernX and that we're going to build around this concept, I think we'll get to a place where We'll kind of come out of the experimentation and the research. We'll have enough numbers to start a small one. 
and also I have enough assurances that if it's going to go down or it's going to be whale or it's going to be blown up, that that happens in a very safe way and that people expect that to happen in a very safe way. But I also think too, we may get to a place where the DAO is a very stable system in order to conduct community-wide investment where you don't need to be throwing tokens into all of these different random sales with no vetting and no community effort to vet and understand what they're actually selling. And I think that's one of the most interesting aspects of the DAO and the DAO concept itself was that it was a great filtering mechanism of just crap. And so most of the projects that we see now if they had to pass the DAO proposal system, they would most of them would have failed because most of them are essentially gift cards that will make no profit to the investor. So you get this really interesting scenario where it's like, hey, if we can bring some of that back again, I think we're going to have a great filtering mechanism. So what is your vision for the future of the Ethereum and blockchain ecosystems? How did DAOs fit into that vision? So I think my vision for it is pretty simple. It's that most forms of human labor and human governance will be outdated by AI and blockchain. Blockchain governance will be just essential to forming any kind of governance because it's, it's one of the only truly concrete ways to form the structure of a government, a system that's by its own rules hard to break. And I think it will bring a lot of transparency and clarity to human governance. And I think for blockchain in general, I think it's going to, you know, naturally it will change everything. It basically empowers human beings with the power to form digital agreements that they can be broken, but it's it be extremely difficult with a well-constructed contract. So I think it will change everything. It will be a very different landscape probably in the next 20 years you know, with the rise of things like all the governance tools that are going to come out, prediction market systems, token market systems even the eradication of things like Visa and, <laughs> and MasterCard, the concept of the bank, and finally the eradication of the concept of the nation state will all fall apart. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. <laughs> no, that's awesome. It's exciting. Like, I mean, we're all anarchists at heart. You have to be to be in this space. I mean, I, I don't know. I think a lot of people in many ways like to identify with a community and a country and an identity. I just think that the nationalist concept has to go. I think the idea that you have these arbitrary borders with its own rules and its own systems is basically something that humans needed to get to the next stage, which is a system of universal understanding, universal basic income, where governments will be praying for people to come to their country to just do anything because the services that a government offers some of them are extremely important and extremely useful, like healthcare and a lot of the social systems, but a lot of it will be rendered completely useless by things like the blockchain. So what is the role of tribalism in the blockchain or the future of decentralized governance? I think what we'll see is experimenting on all different fronts. The communist and libertarian experiments will try to have their systems in place. Liberals and Republicans will try to implement their kind of system on the blockchain. And I think most of them will fail. And that's the best part about it is most of these political systems are highly flawed. And the blockchain is one of the best ways to kind of bring out that truth. And I think a lot of them only work because we have very loose systems that are very malleable and that allow human beings to kind of toy with them and, and change them in a way that kind of makes them function. But most of them, as they're brought on the blockchain, will fail, most certainly. 
And that's because, just as you described the tyranny attack, where you have an attacker or group of attackers control 51% the voting power of a DAO, and so they can use that to coerce the minority. In the case of the DAO that you have been describing, the minority can split and, by doing so, create their own curated environment where they are happy. However, in the case of traditional governance systems like democracy or communism, you don't have the ability to just split off and have your own nation. And by forcing these systems to actually create the most comfortable, appealing environment rather than simply the one that gets the best marketing, I guess, you can actually determine what is the best way to live and what is the best way to organize a group of people. Yeah, and I think we're seeing some really interesting things happening with stuff like Airbnb and Uber. And I mean, this is also indicative of blockchain. All of those services completely challenge the concept of the jurisdiction. And I think the governance that we've been using to govern jurisdictions has been highly flawed for a very long time. And basically, because we're rooting the government in a specific place and in a specific country, it's very hard to just change it all of a sudden. Whereas in the blockchain space, if you are truly international, Mr. Worldwide, then you don't need to be susceptible to jurisdictional problems and governance. You can essentially just go jurisdiction shopping and realize that the place you're in is not nearly as good as another place that's more game theoretically sound. And the DAO kind of shows us that like, hey, here's a great system where if you don't like what's going on in the main DAO, you can create another one, invite everyone to it and challenge the core DAO and the core concept. And that also goes as a great defense mechanism for the tyranny of the majority. And it's not a completely fulfilling solution to tyranny of the majority because you have to create a whole other thing and basically hope that everyone comes to it. So does it really solve the old philosophical problem? Not really. But what it does offer is a nice middle ground solution. Now, the thing is, is as human beings, we really haven't gotten to test the solution yet. So it's basically just like we're all thinking it could work, but you know, in reality, who knows if it's actually going to be a great solution to form strong governance. But yeah, I mean, I think all of this stuff is slowly challenging the normal conceptions of banking, money, the state, and freeing our minds to these really restrictive concepts that really heavily bias our thinking. And I think you get to a really nice place where it's like, hey, so long as I can have some kind of universal understanding with other human beings, we can live on the planet together happily, we can do our jurisdiction shopping, and you know, we can all be looked after and not starve or die from climate change, you get this beautiful solution where it's like, hey, we can form the governance that we need, we can live peacefully amongst each other, and hopefully AI and other things will solve most of our resource problems. And so we really won't have those to worry about. And then finally, the last thing we just need to worry about is just leaving the planet and exploring the universe, which would be really nice. <laughs> you know, with all this stuff, the direction that I'm going with GovernX2 is, is basically to just offer healthy, solid, universal alternatives to any other governance system <laughs> at the moment. There's going to be a lot of void to fill. A governance system is like a huge space. So there's just, there's just so much work to do. been listening to the ether review i'm arthur falls for more episodes subscribe on itunes or visit etherreview.info